So one of the um, very significant statements of the Buddha is that there is the the sphere of no coming, no going, no sun, no moon, no this world, no that world, um, unbecome, unborn, unconditioned. This is the end of suffering. Mm. It's not exactly what he said, but it gives you a rough praise of the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. He didn't say this very often, but uh, this is one of his, what's called an udana, an udana is a kind of declaration. It's not really an instruction. It's just a proclamation. There is this. Mm-hmm. It's one of the ways the Buddha taught, nine different ways he taught. This is one of them. Yeah. So sometimes he'd give a particular maxim or, a, you know, called a sutta. Or sometimes he'd give a verse called a gata. Um, and some of these would be instructions. You notice with this one, there isn't really an instruction. It doesn't say, you've got to do this, or you shouldn't do that, or do this and do that, and then you'll get it. It just says, this is it. There's a declaration. It's like that. Um, a lot of, it wasn't that he didn't do that. I mean, a lot of the times he did very clearly say, don't ever do that, and this way is foolish, and you should do that, and please do that, and make more of that, and do less of that. And a lot of encouragement, a lot of exhortation. This one he didn't. It's not an exhortation. It's a declaration. Um, and that's interesting because he never actually says you've got to get to the unbecome unborn. There's no exhortation in it. It's kind of very cool. It's just the, there is this. If there were not this, there would be no escape from the conditioned, born, originated, compounded that which is subject to birth and death. Were not this, there would be no escape. So it's, you know. Um, so yeah, you know. But then the escape itself is not really uh, something you do. It's um, just there is this. It's like a different way of referring, different kind of in, in teaching, different instruction. It's almost asking your mind to work in a different way than other ways which are also valid. You know, you know like you focus on the breath, you calm the body, you calm the mind, you get, develop jhana, you relinquish this. That's one way of looking at it. You can do that. And that is valid and supportive and very well documented. Mm. And there's also this other, which is asking your mind to work in a different way 
this other way is just like a almost a realization there is this and I would suggest the two work together you know that you there is this sense of uh, um, an injunction an exercise that you do in order to develop something to get somewhere to be somewhere where you weren't before you know to be calmer steadier purer more loving and so forth and there's also something that doesn't work in the same way just a declaration there is this and just to kind of put it in perspective we can uh, the Buddha himself recognized that this, the, the sense of that which could be instructed and uh, developed although valid is not uh, a final release it's a ladder you might say to climb out but it isn't the release isn't, you know, it, can, it maybe helps to cut away a lot of the places where we're stuck, where we're just winding ourselves up and tangling ourselves. But he also said that, you know, that in, in a mature practice, as you, whatever you develop, you recognize this too is compound, compounded, conditioned, which is not common parlance. What that means is, you know, this particular state of mind I'm in, though it's useful and good and pleasant or whatever it is, is something that's just being held together. It doesn't, it doesn't stay by itself. It doesn't stand there unless there's something keeping, holding it going, therefore it is subject to stress. The fact, the very fact that there's got to be some continual input to keep it there. You have to build it up. And some of these things do take a long time to build up and are very carefully and uh, and also are are quite durable. You know, that's the point of them. They do give you some firmness and confidence, but they're still being held together, and therefore they're bound to come apart. Doesn't mean that one shouldn't cultivate that, because it's a lot better than the rest of the stuff that we can get um, terribly tense about trying to hold together. You know, status quo, our environment, our life story, our future, our domestic situation, our, you know, all that stuff. It's put a lot of effort into trying to make it work and stable and satisfactory, and it just doesn't get that way, as far as I could make out. <laughs> you know? But it does, and it does absorb a huge amount of energy, doesn't it, to, to just try to get it, hold it there, it doesn't stay very long. Whereas you develop something like uh, absorptions, jhana, then it requires effort, but you get a good payoff with it. It does stay there, and you do feel good with it, and it uh, doesn't burn up anything, it doesn't use up your resources, it tends to give you more. So meditation is the best kind of becoming. It's the best thing we can develop in terms of time in terms of that which is compounded and the Buddha said is also there is the uncompounded when having developed or in the process of developing the good we recognize the good is this Mm. 
Now it's very difficult to because you can read these things in in several discourses where he says, you know, you recognise it's just that, and what actually happens, what those words trying to do when you read it or somebody tells you that, it doesn't generally doesn't really give more than a suggestion because it's very difficult to put such a thing in words. Because we're entering into a different realm, you might say, this sphere of the unborn. And the normal reference is good, no, doesn't work. Bad, definitely doesn't work. Um, Being something doesn't work. Not being something doesn't work. Most of the references that we use don't don't work. All we can say is it's no no stress, no suffering, nothing to be held together there. And there is this. No coming, no going. It means we don't enter into it. You know, it doesn't sort of rise up. It doesn't happen. It's not an event. Anything that rises up in its event, everything that happens as an experience will tend to fold up, move along, go away. So this, in a way, if it doesn't come, not going to happen, well, where's that, you know? (laughs) In some way, you could say it's already here. It's always been here. That's one rather poetic way of looking at it. It's something that's always here, but we we don't notice it. Because our minds are normally so focused and attuned to the sense of time and becoming and movement and change and development and ups and downs and happiness and unhappiness and progress and decline, so wound up with that that we don't notice this other sphere. It's called a sphere. And this means... Not, not a globe, but a sphere is generally used to refer to um, like a, a um, sense sphere. So we saw that the sphere of the eye is seeing that which is seen and the visual organ of the eye. So in other words, it's not a particular point. A sphere is not an object. It's a whole dimension. We could call it the sphere of seeing, for example, it means there's the eye organ, the eye object, and the eye consciousness, so it's, it's the whole kind of holistic experience that goes with, in that, with that reference. And you say there's a sphere of the body, the sphere of touch, taste, there's a sphere of very subtle mind states, such as the sphere of neither perception or non-perception, the sphere of, infinite, of boundless space. So these are not discrete objects. These are holistic domains, you might say, which can be very subtle, ethically tainted one way or another, dependent upon a sense base. But there's also this other sphere. You know, you could say it's something like a, a domain that's here, that's already present, you might say, of course, and uh, the way to that, if there is a way to it, is through a, a, a relinquishment of the rest of it. 
So one thing we can recognize, um, you know, about that which we can find words for, <clears throat> you know, is that the general um, mode of release in, in Buddha, Buddhist parlance is one of a reduction of mental activities, mental structures. It's a deconstruction. It's a dispassion rather than passion. It's non-engagement rather than engagement. It's, it's non-accumulation rather than accumulation. It's a it's called ceasing and relinquishment and release. These are the phrases they use. In other words, it's something about a kind of a, a surrender, a giving up. And so, you know, these are the signposts, you might say. The signposts of insight. So we look at those signposts, what do they mean? You know, what does it feel like to dispassion? Yeah. There's a giving up of the excitement, the warmth, the highs, the surges, the rushes. Yeah. The getting there's but then, of course, with that, there's also the giving up of the losing it, the, the anger, the disappointment, the things we've lost. So you give up both sides of the wave, the upside and the downside. And the wave then starts to collapse and you've got something that's more level. <clears throat> and the level is wider, more spacious, than the wave. <clears throat> it's not really an object, it's not so, you can't really get excited about dispassion, <laughs> how much you've got of it, and who's got the best kind of dispassion, and, you know, it doesn't work like that. But the, it's, uh, you can say that the, the collapsed wave, which is, of course, looking at one term, you know, from the wave's point of view, it's a collapse, but from the sea's point of view, it's, it's a pleasant, unruffled, um, you know, wider domain, then we're all choppy and rising up. It's a wider, more spacious um, quality to it. And there's got a subtle feeling of agreeable feeling because the mind is not being pressured in one way or another. Yeah, the dispassion. Relinquishment, release, ceasing. Ceasing of getting activated, getting stirred up. And then relinquishment, relinquishment of the very ways in which we do get stirred up. This is about as near as you can get to describing what occurs. Now when you, you know, you contemplate your experience as it's happening, you know, for most of us, a lot of times, a lot of stuff moving around. And when we meditate, there's a fair amount of stuff just moving around. You know, thoughts, feelings, you know, memories, anticipations, struggles, assessment, how well I'm doing, I'm not doing very well, feeling saddened by that, feeling happy by something or the other, feeling needing a bit more of this, more of that. A lot of stuff moving around. 
And uh, there's, it's got a magnetic quality to it. It really feels kind of important. You're in that sphere. You're in the sphere of the conditioned. I don't know what it's like. You've been sitting here for two or three hours sometimes in meditation. And, you know, you dong, ring the bell. and Wow, where was that? <laughs> it suddenly come out. You've been engrossed in some kind of, you know... You didn't even really, really know you were there until that moment when you opened your eyes, a bell rang, and you gee, what was all that about? It was really intense in there, you know? There's a lot of stuff going on as people were sitting there looking pretty cool and stable and calm. There's this whole kind of you know, cook pot, bubbling pot of stuff going on. Sometimes not particularly wonderful or glorious, just kind of mundane, twaddle. <laughs> This, that, odd fancies, uh, nice, pleasant bits, feeling we're getting somewhere, and uh, some in detail scoping into the body and feeling energies there, moving around with that. It's a whole busy business in there, meditating. And then you kind of come out of it, walk outside, there's this big space out there, there's a few birds flitting around. Wow, you know, where was all that? And we're in another sphere, aren't we? We're in a kind of a, a different sphere. And in a different sphere, the kind of the, uh, the, the gravity changes. Perhaps one doesn't feel so intensely held. If we're looser, we feel perhaps more open. <coughs> or it may be that it's the other way around. We felt pretty spacious. In the meditation, we open our eyes and, you know, people, things, got to do, and we suddenly feel agitated. You get a shift from one sphere to another. <clears throat> that's what a sphere is it's not the particular objects but every sphere has got a particular kind of charge to it a certain current, a certain voltage you know? certain you know, you're in it and you're in it because of this you could say it's like a, a voltage or a current or a temperature a heatedness an engagement now that's actually the that's the fundamental piece, and you can't really place it because it's not an object, it's not a sensation, but it's a, you could say it's like a temperature. You know, it's it's where do you, where's temperature? You know, it's kind of everywhere. Yeah. Or it's like um, a, a flavor. You know, like, or an aroma in the room. There's a whole quality to that. And it's not a particular place. The whole sphere is charged. What it's charged with is an energy called becoming. And again, it's not a great English word. Sometimes it's called being or existence. And one of the things that you can contemplate as you're meditating you know, is just how, you know, Different thoughts and different impressions will raise the temperature. You can notice that. You may not notice the unborn unconditioned, but you can notice some things are extremely conditioned. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on with a big charge, and the temperature goes up. Other stuff is kind of lukewarm and so what, you know. So you can notice changes, and the the change in the current, the change in the voltage. Now, what would it be like if that, you know, once we recognize that quality, that, that 
vamping up. That, that's, what would it be like if that, that just wasn't there? <laughs> if somebody switched the power off, huh? It wasn't intense, and it wasn't. And just consider the the relationship between that intensity or that charge or that voltage, and the sense of I. Notice things that are about me have got a lot more charge in them. Things that just so what nothing you know birds singing. Somebody moving around, so what doesn't, you know, nothing. But there's something I've got to do. Big charge, big voltage, luminous. Something that's bothering me. Yeah. And as we all recognize in meditation, you get one of these things, and these things got so much charge, and they start spinning out new realms of I ought to, and how dare they, and I'm never going to, and she can't tell me that and I don't see why I should do that and I really need one of those. It wouldn't be nice to have one of that. You know, a whole universe starts coming out. I don't know if you ever saw that thing, the Mandelbrot set, which is a mathematical, very wonderful, um, it's an equation actually, but what this equation does when they plot it on a computer through some mysterious process I never quite understand, but you've got these incredibly beautiful colors and shapes coming out of it. And they plot this, this mathematical equation, and it comes up with this particular uh, pattern. And you can take any one part of that pattern and look into that, and it creates... And as you keep plotting these, running this equation over and over again like a million times, it generates more and more and more of these patterns. And they say, actually, this really is infinite. It will never stop. You never get to the point when it repeats itself or it comes to, this is the end. It just goes on and on and on and on. But every part of this pattern has one particular character in it that keeps repeating itself. A little black thing. looks like a, some kind of bug. And it's there. Kind of in every every formulation, this pattern's always got somewhere in this this little black thing, like a thumbprint, you know. And this, <laughs> this in a way, is the is the thumbprint of becoming. <laughs> you know, this is this is the author. If you notice, your mind, it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? And the, the the spheres that it generates change in there. Wonderful, mundane, trivial, embarrassing, luminous, glorious, horrifying. And yet they carry the same thumbprint, which is this sense of I am in this. I am this. I am in this. this is happening to me. I don't want to be in this or I want more of it. You know, either... And the wanting to be further into it and to get to the end of it and make something out of it is called becoming. And the wanting to get out of it and have another pattern and go somewhere else is called the non-becoming, which is not the same as the unbecome. And it's, of course, it's a problem with words, but the, the non-becoming is almost like trying to be, become nothing. Again, it's something that, that involves time, 
It involves a sense of development and involves a sense of self. I want to get out. I want to be something other than this. And Buddha said, this one doesn't take you to the unbecome. It just takes you to, you might say, anti-spheres or, you know, like a negative universe where your movement's in the other direction. So, the main thing you can recognize is that this kind of charge, this voltage, I've called it. And one thing we can recognize, if we don't get lost in the details of the pattern, which generally we do, but every now and then you come back to, hey, what's the pattern telling me? Is that the more I, the more I am, is in any of those details, that's the thing that raises the charge and propels the whole thing forward another step. So it's always associated, the two are dependently connected, becoming and the sense of I am. And any time we try to get one of those things, like where is this sense of I am, what is it, really what is it as a felt direct experience now, it's sort of, it kind of, you can't get it. It's so powerful and such a strong reference and yet when you try to find what it is, it's just like a pressure, a tension, a holding and uh, a movement. But it isn't a thing, it's an action. An action of reaching out or craving, an action of trying to get, cling, hold, become, support, get supported, called Upadana. And those two give rise to this, this sense of forming, forming in one's world, in one's sphere. And uh, we, as we experience this, I think, you know, one of the stresses of, of uh, meditation is just, wow, this takes a lot, of, you know. It's, it's absorbing and uh, it goes on and you get kind of weary of it. Becoming. It's like a like a an energy that runs out of consciousness. It's like a strand, like a ray of energy that runs out and starts to spin out things. It's like the ultimate spider spinning out webs from its own body, spinning out the silk from its own body, and creating these huge webs that it then runs across. How do we stop that? Well, again, the Buddha doesn't say exactly. Uh, because, you know, when you try to stop it, then I am comes in again in a vibhava, or non or non-becoming aspect, tries to get out, tries to get rid of the spider, runs the other way. And the same charge Pertains. You still get the same charged voltage, temperature. Is still there. So this other movement, you could say, it's a movement is relinquishment, which is just some like, something like a surrender, like I'm not going anywhere. 
which sounds counterintuitive. Surely we want to get off this web. This endless spooling out. Surely we want to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't happen like that. If there were not the unbecome, there would be no escape, no release from the become. There is the unbecome, unborn, unoriginated. There is. You don't do it. There is. Relinquishment, surrender. Surrender, powerful word, frightening word, glorious word. Surrender to the divine, yeah, I could manage that. I found what the divine was. Surrender to bliss, I could handle that. Surrender into the, the, you know, gnashing strangeness of my mind. <laughs> so I go mad. So yeah, generally you've got to, you know, tidy the, tidy the act up a bit. You know, to make it so that we're, something in us feels we could actually just surrender. How do you surrender? You surrender by surrendering. <laughs> Relinquish. And certain things make that possible, that leap, leap of faith, you might say, possible. Um, One is the quality of calming, so it becomes much more comfortable, steady. Some of the intensities are allayed. It's much more pleasant, milder sphere that we're in. Restraint. Equanimous, gentle, kindly. It's a good sphere of becoming. So that makes it a lot more possible. This is called the process of samatha, which is to do with energy. Steadying, calming, softening, cooling, slowing down, taking that voltage down, softening, widening, gentler. This is the process of samatha to do with energy. The other process is called insight, which is to do with view. View means we look into that, or there is a looking into that. We have this capacity for what's called direct knowing, Abhinya, which means we're not conceiving, we're not thinking, we're not making, we're just directly witnessing through mindfulness. And what we start to notice is um, change. Everything is changing. And uh, our thoughts are changing, hopes are changing, our projections are changing, our fantasies are changing, our dreads are changing. Joys are changing. And then when you look very 
clearly into any one of these phenomena, you're just feeling angry, feeling disappointed. There could be a huge spin around that. Sometimes things are extremely disappointing and frustrating. When you look into that, you know, and right in inside that is empty. If you get past the buzz and the spin of it all, in the minute it's like there's nothing there. What's there is this, this whirling. And the whirling is something that attracts our attention, so we spin around on it. But if you just if you don't make an issue about frustration or anger or whatever it is, take those two examples, like we're not saying I'm justifying this, I'm gonna do something about it, I'm gonna blow up, I'm gonna no, we're not doing that. Nor we're we saying I shouldn't feel this way, we just oh, there's that phenomenon called say anger. How does it feel in the body? How does it feel if we stop censoring it, getting disappointed with ourselves for feeling it? It's like that. And, you know, you get so that you're just looking at it as a phenomenon, not as something that is doing this self should be what I'm going to do, how I am. Why is this happening to me? After all these years, I shouldn't feel this way. Stop making this I noise around it all. The I inclination. And with that, changes the voltage, changes, deflects your attention from the, the moving stuff, which seems to be so powerful, so deeply embedded. And with it deflecting your attention, see, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And yet you can deflect your attention, there's a whole lot there. There's a whole story. And me and mine and she and him and they and what I'm going to do and I'm never going to stand for that and not another minute and what what I've done was... And then you can, but then just sort of surrendering to that. Like, here it is. Okay? So the first thing we start to surrender is is the sense it shouldn't be here. Okay? And the struggle to get away from it, or the 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 plans that we might make about how we're going to do because of this experience, what we're going to do so this isn't going to happen to me again, you know, or if it's a positive experience, what I'm going to do to make sure it does happen again. We start to surrender the future, the alternatives, the the prognosis, the development of it. So you start to, that's how you do it. Then then the the resistances. And even the naming of it as some kind of problem. On one level, 
yeah, sure, it is a problem and so forth. But you can also, in that meditative way, say, well, just for this moment, we're not going to make it a problem. We're looking at it in a different way because this fear of the unborn, you you don't get there in a normal way. So you deflect. So it's just like this. And then you, that, by dropping that I sense and all that involves, we start to almost descend through that. And it's strange and not that comfortable. And yet somewhere in there, it's like, wow, there's nothing here. And then, I want more of that. And the whole thing starts up again. <laughs> you know, we, we, something says, oh, I think I did something, I got something. And the I am comes in again. So it's a, this is the view, process of insight, through acknowledging the change, the ownerlessness, the powerlessness of our minds in a way. We're starting to view things from a non-self perspective. And you develop that non-self, like not just non-self in this particular phenomenon, but I'm not, I'm not a self who, I, I don't even have to understand this or explain it or fix it or change it or conceive of a future of how it should be or how I'm going to be. Or what would it be like to be without? I'd give the whole thing up. You know, it's it's a lot, isn't it? Because you know, when I get into a, you know an unpleasant state or negative feeling or something unpleasant happens, then the mind, oh, I remember what it was like when this wasn't happening, or. He never seems to get that. It must be so nice being where that doesn't happen. Or if I'd only done this, I wouldn't have that experience. Or it says in the book, you never, you know, you're supposed to have got beyond this. There's so much of that stuff going on as a reflex. It's a very strong assumption that there's an alternative. And in the sphere of time, yeah. There is an alternative. Things are always changing to something else. There is the changing, the becoming, the born, the condition, the going on, the birth, the death. There definitely is that. That's that sphere. There are alternatives. In fact, there's nothing but alternatives. There's no constant ground. It's all alternatives, alternating from this to that. And mostly our view is to just keep trying to juggle those alternatives to get the right ones, which they don't quite happen, do they? So another way of looking at it is this is the no alternative path. You didn't call it a path because that still suggests that it's going to go somewhere. (laughs) This is the no alternative moment. (laughs) 
the sphere of no alternatives. Of no reluctance. Of no begrudging. Of no unfairness. Of no achievement, no attainment. And no comparisons. See, all these qualities I've just listed, those are things that happen so naturally for us that we'd assume, you know, almost like we don't conceive what it'd be like without it. We don't even think about that. That it would be possible to not have an alternative, not compare, not imagine oneself. It seems to be built in. So the whole process of developing that steadying, calming, slowing it down, sharpening one's attention, is very important to get the tools so that that view can have its effects. It's not an intellectual process. It's like, you know, when you feel bad, it's like, well, why shouldn't I feel bad? Sometimes feeling is bad. There's only three kinds, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So what's the chances, huh? At least 30% of it. (laughs) So, but when you get a bad feeling, feeling, I shouldn't be here. Why shouldn't it be here? You don't get that with a pleasant feeling. You don't get... It shouldn't be here with a pleasant feeling. Who says what it shouldn't be here? That's the one. And of course, with a feeling, it's no longer an intellectual process. You get cold or damp or pain or blamed or criticized or something like that. It's not, you know, something really happens there, doesn't it? So it takes some sense of now it couldn't be any other way there is the realm where you could change it and make it and do something there is that that's that sphere of the become the originated, the born, the compounded there's also there's this It's like passing through this 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 uh, phenomenal world of feeling and pressure and impulse and leaning and inclining and shifting and wriggling and placing. It's like passing through, and in the middle of it, there's this empty. Not anywhere else. You don't have to go somewhere else. You don't have to go to some other plane for that. In fact, all the planes that we can to go to, there are several of them, all 
in terms of becoming, have the same story. I mean, there are pleasant ones and refined ones. They all have the same basic profile. You know, you get in there, there's some charge, some voltage, some inclination, some movements. You go along with that and the sense of I am and there's, there's change and so forth. It's the same thing, really. There are better ones, easier ones. And there's also this. Unconditioned, unborn, unoriginated. No coming, no going. No arrival, no departure. Doesn't bear the sign of being sustained. It's not sustained. It doesn't arise, it's not sustained, it doesn't depart. Seemingly mysterious because words can't do it. But meditation can. Insight can. If there were not this, there would be no escape. And because the conditioned actually is not permanent, not final, not real, not substantial, not solid. If we could come out of that trance, if our view could shift, we would not, something this would not keep building up those spider webs. Why it's called awakening, buddho, wise, awakened, not become, but awakened. If we could just see those things for what they are, and more than see it, but not have that kind of push and pressure and driven and, you know, that energy of, that comes out so compulsively, so habitually, if there could be just the calming of that, and then seeing this thing that's winding me up, got me. There's nobody there. There's nobody in there. It's not happening to somebody. <laughs> feeling doesn't decide, oh, I'll go and give so-and-so a hard day today. There's no feelings wandering around with intentions saying, I'm going to go and give you some misery. Just feelings doing what feelings do. There's nobody in there with them. So it's, but again, you know, these are just suggestions, but to look at things in a different way, and of course we have to build up that gravity, you might say, to, to stand against this charge, this push, long enough to just tip the balance so we're not something isn't just going into that patterning process again and again. This is possible.
Just look at the world of becoming, what one has become. What would you say you are, you know? Male, female, nationality, job, character type, astrological predicament. Yeah, what? What's that? <laughs> you know, when, when the when the voltage is, when the thing's switched on, it really gets you, doesn't it? One of those things, or the accumulation of them, history, and it's really there, but just look at it. There is the realm of become, the becoming. I have become a monk, I've become older, I've become a senior monk, I've become a teacher, I've become an abbot. Maybe you think, oh, it must be so nice to have become that. No, it's not. So anything really, it's not, sometimes it seems horrible, sometimes it seems wonderful, all the time it seems just nothing much. It's nothing really. If somebody had said to me, you know, 40 years ago, you're going to become an abbot of a Buddhist monastery, I'd probably have an idea. Wow, that must be, I don't know, sort of um, priestly or clerical or refined or august no it isn't (laughs) it's just kind of eating and sleeping and thinking and moving around and sitting down and standing up and cleaning your teeth and wandering around and seeing people and feeling happy and feeling unhappy (laughs) it doesn't become anything these things are you know, it looks so real. You look around and think, well, what's she become? Or he become? Or, well, look at that. How did he become that? No, he hasn't become anything. Really. When you're in it, it's just like, well, same old thing, you know. This, that. Good bits, bad bits. And you can still have this sense, oh, well, I'd like to become, if only this wasn't happening, I'd be happy. If I could, I could think, if I could just have less responsibilities, so forth, then I'd be fine. Look at so-and-so, he's happy, he's not doing this, these things I have to do, he's happy, he's fine. Rubbish! (laughs) It's the same for everybody. (laughs) I mean, different different levels of it. It's, the sphere of becoming is just like that. You know? And, and it, the outside looks so solid and real to you're in it. It's just stuff in the end. It's just snow and fog and mist and rain. It's coming and going. And, you know, just there. There's nothing really to, to become. But then you see what you know. What is our response eventually? You know, what are we? What are we going to do? If we're not going to be becoming something, 
We'll be surrendering, letting go of the compulsions, letting go of the resistances, letting go of the thirsts. You know what happens with that? I'm sure, as you do. You know, finally all you can say really is, uh, I think, you know, whenever, as I practice, finally I will, you know, go through things and this, that and the other. But it always comes down to basically two things really, maybe three things. One is, may I be well, may you be well. Not really, really, may this being be well, may you be well. What else is there to say? Oh, maybe breathing in and breathing out. Yeah, that's enough. (laughs) That's enough. It's enough to stand on. You won't.